Welcome to Trailblazer Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today's lesson is 314 Metagaming. This is part of our 300 series covering advanced topics. And today, we have an adjunct professor, Marcus DJ Wheat Graham, the director of creator development at Twitch. Welcome, Marcus. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Now, listing you as the director of creator development at Twitch, it, it doesn't do you justice. I told a couple people, hey, I'm having DJ Wheat on the show. And every single person I told said, oh, man, that guy's amazing what he did for esports. Everyone always seems to connect you with esports and, and like traveling along the path as it grew. Some people have even called you the grandfather of esports. Yeah, uh, you're not wrong. A lot of people, you know, that's where I got my start, right? That's where I sort of fell in love with content creation. I didn't even realize at, at the time that that's what I was, you know, I was doing. But back in the early days of the internet, there was a program called Shoutcast that was released by Nolsoft. And it basically allowed anyone who had a computer and could get a server to start up a radio station. And so I I kind of did that, but with esports and commentated a lot of Quake 3 matches and then Counter-Strike and then StarCraft and Warcraft. And I just kind of kept going from there. So now we're all in video. Of course, that's that's fun and amazing, too. But yeah, that that esports history goes back a long way. So I'm not super surprised to hear that. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought it was rude. I thought they should call you the father of esports, but hey, who am I? <laughs> uh, For people like me who don't know because they didn't read the primer Caleb gave them, what is your experience with tabletop gaming? I guess like kind of the dots all kind of connect in some way, shape or form because I got into esports, obviously in that period of time, met a lot of content creators, two of those being Day9 and It Me JP. And there was a time in sort of what I would call the StarCraft era of esports where I was working a lot with JP and he had just started up a new show called Roleplay. After the initial couple of games of Roleplay, he was looking to sort of expand out his roster and it just so happened that when it came to tabletop games, that was a love that I had in the very early wheat years during middle school and during high school. Everything from I played quite a bit of Shadowrun. I was very, very, very big into cyberpunk. And although that's not my favorite system in the whole world, uh, I had a lot of fun, you know, playing Shadowrun. And then, you know, just about any other system that me and my friends could get our hands on. And we also like to kind of develop our own systems using some of the generic systems that were out there. So the internet basically allowed me to rekindle that flame because prior to that, I hadn't really gotten a chance to flex those tabletop muscles for, for years, you know, I was like 16 and then suddenly here I am, you know, I think about 36, so about, uh, you know, about 20 years later, it was like rediscovering my love for that. So that's, that's how my name it's associated. I've been on roleplay R and D. I was in the original stars without numbers campaign, Swan song. I was in a cyberpunk adventure called mirror shades and I'm currently in a, a follow-up it's the same universe as the stars without numbers and it's called far verona so i do really enjoy playing i don't play as much 
sort of in person with a whole lot of people, but I think that's, that says a lot just about me, actually, I think, uh, but that's, that's, it's still on my, it's still on my list, putting together my own local game at some point. Sure. Yeah. It's a struggle for all of us. I think you, you actually have a, a hard task is because you, the stuff you do is all live productions with the video and voice where it's like, if you mess up, well, there it is. It's there for everyone to see. Yeah, you just kind of have to go with it. I think that makes it especially fun. And I really enjoy playing tabletop games, especially that way, because yes, it is a game and I'm finding enjoyment in it myself. But I do think that every player and every GM that's on those shows knows that there is also an entertainment element that goes to it. So it makes for some really fun and interesting experiences, but it also can be pretty difficult. Well, today we're talking about metagaming. So what is metagaming? Metagaming is the PC knowing or acting on information that only the player has. It's generally considered a bad thing, and it's a struggle not to do actively or even passively. For example, I've I've read that monster's bestiary entry, so I know its weakness, strengths, and special abilities, so I'm going to do this or that. Like, you can't help if you already read it. You already read it, unconscious or conscious. But I actually kind of think there's healthy metagaming as well as unhealthy metagaming. We're going to get in the weeds and sort this stuff out. I think there's even just, you know, the act of playing the game, in a sense, is kind of a form of metagaming. Like, you are an autonomous being that knows a lot of information that your player character doesn't necessarily know. And that's kind of how you play the game. It's a bunch of abstract numbers that the character effectively doesn't know, but it shapes the world. So, like, there's there's basic metagaming, but there's the extremes where it it can become a problem at certain tables. So can, like transcendental aren't we just really metagaming life <laughs> are we really even in control of anything sometimes i feel like dice run my life and that i'm not in control of my actions <laughs> sometimes i wonder it feels so. i really like this topic because i agree i think there are certainly ways that metagaming can be harmful to a gameplay experience but i also think and coming from my perspective where really i love sort of the narrative aspect of uh, tabletop games and right the dice help create the direction and the set for the narrative and also kind of force our characters to do things that sometimes we don't want to do and in those cases i i do think there's some really interesting sort of i guess approaches to to metagaming and also kind of respecting that so anyway i'm really interested to to have this discussion with you all well we're so happy to have you on here so let's talk about one of the big ones it's that the players have read the source material so when you're running an adventure path or even in a homebrew game, somebody's read the bestiary entries or the story's source material, players have knowledge about that now. And like, I imagine, maybe I'm just naive from my view of the world, but I imagine this is like rare, right? Like there's not people who enjoy like, oh, we're running Rise of the Ruin Lords. I'm going to go buy Rise of the Ruin Lords and read the whole <laughs> book. <laughs> I'm going to spend $170 just so I can bet a game. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's people who've played the adventure before or run the adventure before. I'm sure that's pretty frequent. It is. It's that's actually something I've done before. I've either like read through once and played in a module. And I think overall like this issue is mostly self-solving like it doesn't really cause huge issues that aren't very apparent unless someone's being really egregious with it and i think the adventure path is going to be the biggest one here so you have a pre-written story uh, that's been published and available 
and the players could read it and have all the information. But what information can they really have that's not kind of like obvious or the GM can do something about? So this could take the form of, say, the player is preparing a very specific spell or stockpiling a very specific weapon against an enemy because it will be effective against them. So when your wizard is preparing his spells for the day and there has never been a summoned creature once in the campaign and they suddenly prepare to smiss in the chapter that there is a summoner as the boss, you're like, hey, why did you choose the dismiss spell today of all day? You chose heightened dismiss. <laughs> <laughs> of all things. But wait, it looks like all of your spells are dismissed. <laughs> and it's reaching into the area where the metagaming is going to make them do things that obviously are out of character. And that in and itself is usually a problem, something you want to discuss with the player. Or suppose that they have like a fire weapon, a weapon that does a lot of fire damage because they are fighting an ice elemental and they know they're weak against fire. And again, this is... I feel, in my opinion, easy as the GM to overcome because you know what the players have in their arsenal. They purchase the items from you. They shouldn't be adding spells to their spellbook without consulting you, making sure they have the source. So if they start doing stuff like this and you see it, and it's, it seems to me it would be fairly obvious, you can just change the enemy. <laughs> yeah. What are they going to do? Are they going to call you out on it? Mm, look at all these silver swords you have. Guess somebody was thinking about fighting Lycanthrope, weren't you? Well, guess what? They're all direwolves now. Hey, hey, you, you, that's not, like, what, what are they going to say? Like, that's not what's supposed to be. <laughs> they have healthy generation from silver. Take that. <laughs> I think in a way, that's sort of reactive. While these are tools in your arsenal, I think it's sort of, there's an illustration of a deeper problem here that this will just keep coming up if you don't get to. Obviously, that person's fun is sort of overcoming encounters in the most optimal way, right? Mm -hmm. And so you might have sort of a little bit of a group dynamic there that's like, oh, I, sort of my enjoyment here is more of a story thing. Your enjoyment seems to be this meta fashion of combat. And we need to kind of find the middle ground here. And that way everyone can be happy. You're not constantly like trying to go against your players' decisions in the game. And also some things, I, I bet a lot of APs are just designed well enough that before you fight the werewolf, They'll probably find out if they do a little bit, even the tiniest bit of legwork, hey, there's going to be werewolves soon. The writer's probably giving you a chance to equip yourself to fight these things. Yeah, I mean, at some point you have to imagine that there is a human element that comes into it, right? Like, I would hope that the players that I'm playing with wouldn't necessarily min-max with knowledge in that way. So, you know, I've been lucky enough to not have anyone who chooses to behave that way at, at the table. But I kind of agree. It's like, well, how could you combat it if you change something? And I think that is it the GM's knowledge to or the DM's knowledge to like know who has played in, in what? campaign and, and who right. hasn't too so it's it's a it's a difficult thing to, to gatekeep but players out there i hope that you wouldn't ruin other people's experiences by metagaming in that way it's like asking for your medical history like i need your tabletop <laughs> so i can review <laughs> everyone needs to submit to me their resume uh i think that's what a wonderful point a lot of that is about uh, thinking about others and it's Maybe the root of that is a little bit selfish because it is taking away the fun from other players who the AP was designed that you would discover that and that would be the fun to overcome it. What fun is there when, well, I have the perfect counter to everything every time. You guys don't even have to play. Just sit back there. I've got, yeah. I bought everything we need. Yeah. Can I just have their turns? Yeah. 
And the examples that I put forward, they're pretty egregious examples. And it almost feels like a straw man, so I'm going to try and give something that, you know, on the other side of it, something that's more subtle. Suppose Rise of the Rune Lords, they know that later in the campaign that there are giants involved in the game. And early in the game, they pick favored enemy giant. But they write a good backstory around it, and, like, it fits within the character. And if they're using their metagame knowledge to do something that makes sense for the character and are engaged in character creation, is that a bad thing? You know... A lot of the race-specific stuff is such garbage options anyway. I'm so happy if my player gets to actually get use out of it. Go ahead, please. You found the one time the toppling style is useful. Like, go for it. When else are you going to use it? <laughs> what comes, at least when I play and the metagaming comes in this way, is I don't want to, but I'm not sure how not to. Like, oh, well, I'm just not going to roleplay with this NPC because I know this NPC is actually the main villain and they're going to betray us at some point. And I, and I just can't trust myself to, to act well enough, so I'm just going to back off and let everyone else act on them. And that kind of sucks to have to remove yourself. That's really interesting. I mean, it's kind of like if I ask, hey, let's go to this movie and I've already seen it and then I have to either pretend like I haven't seen it or just watch what I say. It's <laughs> it's something similar, right? You're not getting the same amount sure. of enjoyment as someone else who hasn't experienced it yet. So that I've, I've actually you know, not even thought about that or try to go the other way and, and role play. Oh, I'm, I've suddenly lost my memory or I feel like I have oh. some lost memory of this place, but I can't quite put it together. And, you know, maybe the, the DM will, will play with you on that too. You know, I don't know. There's, there's could be a lot of different ways to approach it from the, I'm playing that character and I know this campaign. And there's that natural bounding of this problem in that it has to make sense within the character's actions. Because if they're consistently doing stuff that don't make sense in-game, you know, it's going right. to appear as a problem and it's going to get called out on. And there's no other way to do it. The NPC example is another one like, oh, this person's really going to betray them. But what are they going to do when they come across this person? Uh, I kill them. Like, no, they're not going to do that. They still have to act in accordance mm. to what their character has experienced. And if they sure. go out of their way to, like, try to be suspicious of this person, try to uncover clues that are intentionally left there, then they're just engaged in the story. And I don't think that's a terrible thing. I like this analogy Marcus has created of going to a movie you've already seen. I think that's absolutely perfect. Like, dude, shut up. I just want to watch. Oh, this part's coming up. This is really cool. Okay, can I just watch it, please? Thank you very much. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> perfect. We're in the age of the remake, you know. Uh, it's almost like opera. Like, every opera show is done differently with different props and different directors. Well, oh, wait, hold let, on. Let, hey, let everyone, see how this going to reference works. opera. I know you all know what he's talking about, so it's going to be a really relevant reference. Please continue, or, Christian. Or plays. Excuse me, plays. <laughs> uh, where, you know, you can see Fiddler on the Roof four different times and really see, you know, overall the same story, but done very different ways, different actors. And that's, you know, playing a game under different GMs. It's kind of like seeing another movie. I, I love that point. I think that Thank is you. brilliant. Um, and because <laughs> that, I love Hamilton and I have seen it five times and I feel like I've seen it five different times. And like, yes, I Ooh. know exactly what happens and I know every word that is spoken. But I even had this one experience where the Aaron Burr played a very different 
tight, like a, he just had a different atmosphere about him. He like slightly modified the meaning of some things, right? That, that were very subtle, but because I had seen it five times, were like actually kind of amazing. So I love that idea where suddenly I'm like, oh, I do would love to like, what about this campaign? But with this DM, because the way they handle, you know, NPCs mm. is really great. Or I love how they uh, c- create combat in my mind. Right. So I'm I'm digging that a lot. I'm glad somebody is. <laughs> Let's uh, move to uh, talk about knowing bestiary entries, because this one is sort of more applicable in my experience, because I don't play a lot of adventure paths, but I, I run a lot of games and I know the bestiaries pretty well. They're my favorite books. When they ever come out, I go through them like front to back. I love bestiaries, so I know a lot about the monsters. And when you know about a monster, just as a player, you just know, okay, it's got damage resistance to this. It's got weakness to this. Am I not allowed to use my fire weapon that I know is going to do extra damage to it until I make a a knowledge check? Because if I hadn't known about this creature at all, I would just attack it with my fire weapon and and it would have just been happy circumstances. But now that I know, am I going to be metagaming? And that just like plagues my mind because my mind destroys itself all the time. Uh, Honest question. If... It is a CR-appropriate monster, and you know the stat block entry. Does it really help you that much in the fight? Like, assuming you have perfect knowledge of the thing you're fighting, if it's still a CR-appropriate encounter, it's not like there's a lot of entries in the beast where you're like, oh, this thing has, like, takes triple damage from fire. Like, no, it's usually, like, moderately helpful at most. And you have to already have that tool on hand. And some things are pretty obvious. Like, hey, guys, guess what? The ice elemental is immune to cold damage. Who would have thought? <laughs> what? Guess wow. what fire damage does to it? <laughs> I guess it's not such a bad thing. Like, it can be bad when you have very specific types of enemies that have very specific stat blocks and very specific abilities. That could be more of a problem. But overall, like, if it's something the enemy does, like, oh, it plants eggs in your wounds, like, that's something they're going to find out eventually. They're going to try to find out about it. They're going to make knowledge checks or try and find people who know it. Sure. You know, a lot of the baseline stuff, I want my players to know. We don't need to act out skeletons having dr5 against everything but bludgeoning every campaign a skeleton shows up in <laughs> right <laughs> oh tally ho friends a fearsome beast has arrived a skeleton let me thrust it with mine rapier oh i have done no damage woe is me <laughs> like no we don't have to go through that you'd be like all right i quit my cestus and punch it like cool let's move on this isn't all i'm taking away from this is that there's a new character i want you to play as and I need a GM for you. <laughs> the over over dramatic swashbuckler. <laughs> Alas, what is that? It's 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 a block of cheese. It's a block of cheese bird. But 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 no, everyone knows skeletons have DR5 bludgeoning. It kinda makes sense for what you see, and like we don't have to go through it every time. And it's I think true. this is where healthy metagaming comes in, because knowing the capabilities of yourself and your enemies is what shapes the way you approach the world. To give an example of how I think metagame can be healthy, I was playing uh, under my friend was GMing, my friend John, and a lot of us are very experienced players. We've been playing for years together. And we were in a pretty low-level campaign, like maybe level three or four, and we're going through effectively a dungeon, and there was a room full of ghouls that we identified and knew to be ghouls. And if we were new players, you know, you're going through a dungeon, a room full of undead, oh, it's just a bunch of zombies, I'm gonna go fight them. Mm. Sad time. One-way ticket to sad town. 
uh, ghouls would massacre you. But as experienced players, he could do that because he knows that we would see them. We'd learn their ghouls and we'd be like, hey, John, we know ghouls paralyze people, right? Yes, you do know ghouls paralyze people. Okay, we're going to run away for a little bit and we're going to respect the power of this enemy and we're going to come up with a new game plan and we're going to approach this in a different way because we can't just run in there and fight. And, you know, it shaped the tone of that session and how are we going to deal with all these without one of us dying? Something really wonderful (laughs) that just came out from what you said was you asked your GM, hey, we would know this, right? I think, what a wonderful solution. Why can't you just say, hey, we know that werewolves are weak to silver, right? And he could say yes or no. I mean, there's got to be a base layer of knowledge in the world, just like you and I would know that, you know, vampires are weak to a stake in the heart. Just from the heck of it, because it's in our culture, there's got to be things that the players can just know. You just ask the GM, and it'll say yes or no. And if it says no, then you go, okay, well, then we'll have to research it if we want to know things about this. That's perfect. I think that's wonderful, actually. I'm, I'm a Why big is everything going to be secret from the GM? Yeah, I'm a big fan of of asking a DM or a GM, you know, would would my character know this? And sometimes you'd say, I don't know, would you? Or would your character <laughs> and other times might say, I don't know, make a cultured civilization check or what. And sure. and I'm actually kind of a, a big fan of that because sometimes, you know, you might get a, a generous uh, GM who, you know, you roll really well and suddenly you're getting a, a wealth of information. You know, I and I personally can't speak from experience where I've had a like a monster or an enemy encounter where I felt like it was ruined by someone metagaming and it might be because we practice pretty commonly like you know would would i know this or you know i i do know this right sometimes you just have to have confidence about it and say like my my ranger definitely knows this information because i am a <laughs> ranger that have accomplished these things and my character's like yeah you you know that so i'm always the going to be one who's like put it back to the storytelling and and when you put it in the hands of the the dm like that i think that that helps enhance that We have an adage we say sometimes where it's like, don't make your players make perception checks for things you want them to see. Well, don't make them make knowledge checks about things you want them to know about enemies. You know, you, you don't want your players to engage with the lycanthropes with no silver weapons. That's going to be absolutely no fun for anybody. That's probably not your intention when you were introducing this enemy. Right. Like, ha, this is a brick wall that you can't even damage. You don't want, that's not what you want. You want it to be balanced. Mm-hmm. Knowledge yeah. checks are a specific beast because there's, there's actually another like metagaming that can come with knowledge checks. For things you don't know. Let's move beyond, I've read the bestiary entry. If I don't know a creature, and the creature like appears to be undead, and I ask, does my character know anything about this monster? He says, make a knowledge dungeoneering check. Well, if you have any level of proficiency with, with Pathfinder, you'll know, well, knowledge religion is what you use for undead. This thing looked undead, and you told me knowledge dungeoneering. As a player, now I know it's probably an aberration because... Knowledge Dungeoneering is for aberrations and oozes. So even if you fail as a PC, the player already learned some information before the dice Mm -hmm. were even rolled, secret or otherwise. Play to the rules. I think that's totally legit. 
<laughs> yep. And th- that's the one thing I was going to say when I was looking at these notes. I was like, well, you could just roll that in secret. But either way, unless you're like, you're like give me your character sheet, yeah. and then you read it, and then you roll it, you're going to ask them, like, hey, what's your knowledge dungeoneering? And then mm-hmm. you're going to roll it for the player. I play by the rules, right? I think that knowledge of rules is just as important in these games and can help. Uh, it's I In fact, I would say that knowledge of rules is your weapon against the GM and the DM in that in that situation. <laughs> so I think that's great. I, I love that whole concept of like, hey, I figured this out because this mm-hmm. is how it was presented or this is what you asked me to roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think that's that's actually a cool part, it, like rewarding knowledge or even deep knowledge of the game's mechanics. Why not? That sounds fun to me. And as long as it's fun for everyone else at the table, that really sounds actually pretty cool to me. You've, you've hidden this other secret layer underneath the role-playing, underneath the game that you get to utilize. But there's other skill checks as well that are going to deal with metagaming. And uh, one of the big ones is sense motive. Every player reads it <laughs> and just rolls it because they don't actually read what the rules are. The word sense motive, I'd like to sense his motive. <laughs> but a, a player can have an idea if they've been lied to by the dice roll. If they roll a high number, the GM says, it appears to you that he's telling the truth. Well, then the player can feel pretty confident in that. But if they roll a low number and the GM says the same thing, the player knows not to be confident of that result. However, either way, the PC should be confident in that result. Sense motive itself is basically saying, I roll this dice and then I metagame. Sense motive is a really <laughs> s- strange skill. Wow. It's a really strange skill to put on a character sheet. I've always had a problem with sense motive, and this is a bit of a tangent. But I just, it should be role-playing that determines these things, and I wish they would rewrite mm-hmm. sense motive to be a little bit different. Like, rather than saying, yes, he is or is not lying, instead say, you know, what is his motive for saying what he just said? He is scared. Uh, he is oh. protecting someone. It's not bad. Instead of saying, they were lying to you, they are telling the truth. It should. I always think it should be a motive. I, I think overall, I have a lot of luck with rolling sense motives in secret. That way they don't know whether they got high or low, low and then you can kind of say whatever you want. Sometimes they roll really low, but the person was telling the truth. And then when you say they're telling the truth and they doubt that, that is a false positive, whatever that is type of error is kind of games i play are are usually very role play focused I, I i enjoy acting and it's one of my loves of being a gm is i get to play a bunch of different characters and what i say to my players is if you have a feeling by the way this character's acting that he's lying you don't have to roll you can just go with your gut if you do choose to roll you're gonna have to do with whatever the dice say so if you feel really fishy about what this guy's saying, you roll and it says that you believe him, then you got to act that way. If you want, you can just go with your gut. And I find that a lot of times they just go with their gut is because we enjoy acting back and forth in that way. It's more fun. I love that. That's a great, that's like a great piece of advice, I think, actually. Ha, I got one in, finally, <laughs> after 300 episodes. Well done. A great piece of advice. <laughs> Okay, honestly, uh, Marcus, that's the end of the episode. I just needed that to happen one day, and we've hit it. So the uh, the, the podcast is over. Great. Well, hang on. I, I got an approval. You got an approval. We have to have a tiebreaker now. <laughs> We're fighting for Marcus's affection. We're actually not releasing this episode, Marcus. All right, let's talk about a few other skills before we move on to combat. You're going to notice I'm going to name just about every skill. Bluff, diplomacy, disguise, appraise, disable device, heal, intimidate, linguistics, perception, sense motive, sleight of hand, stealth, and survival all have cases similar to sense motive 
where the player will get information their PC won't. And you might even kind of see a theme here where all these things are all about information that the, the, the player knows the PC shouldn't. And a lot of it is sort of pulling out, well, how do I act as my PC when I know this information? That's the core of it. And uh, But what, to, to give your players tools to that, as Christian was talking about, one of the possible solutions is hidden checks. Some checks can be rolled by the GM on the player's behalf secretly. These are checks that the player shouldn't know the result to. And I think that's actually a really great sentence. It's a sentence I think I, I, I took from Christian. Because rules as written, there is actually very few things that they say roll secretly. Disguise, there's a very specific case in appraise. There's a specific case in disabled device. There's, like, when making a forgery with linguistics, okay. Those have very specific entries, but when you get down to what you end up rolling secretly and you're trying to evaluate what it should be, that one sentence is actually a great marker to help you. Checks that the player shouldn't know the result to. I find that to be like way too many skills to have to roll for my players. I'm not going to be rolling every one of those skills behind the GM's board. Uh, that's not what it's called. It's called something else, but I can't recall at the moment. So it's now called screen? the GM's board. It's always been called a board, Christian. What do you mean screen? No one's ever referred to that way. You mean like the screen door in my house? What are, what are you talking about? I, I try to play with with players who can easily like not metagame in this way. Players who, who can, at least in these small fashions... Yeah, I know something my PC doesn't. It's not a huge struggle to 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 embody that. I can I can get over it. It's not that hard. It and sometimes knowing the result is actually more fun because it gives you as a role player fuel. I, I once made a check. My disguise check was a result of negative one, which is I don't know. It, you know not everyone's familiar with this system, but it's a bad result. It is a poor result. So at one point, we're like, we're getting towards the end. I take off my mask and I do a big reveal. I'm like, I'm in fact a different person. And all the NPCs just kind of stared at me. Yeah, yeah, we knew. And good. Okay. <laughs> that was fun. I had the opportunity to, to sort of role play that because I got to know I failed. Sometimes when you get to know people who, who enjoy role playing, let them know they failed. They can ham it up. They can have fun with it. I f I'm finding that the, the way that these skills have problems is kind of mitigated in the way that I play the game in that I don't have my players roll skill checks a lot. I know about where their values of bonuses lie, and I know the DCs I set. So a lot of times I just say, you know, just tell me what you're doing. You know, I want to try to open the lock on the door. Presumably the person who's good at that is doing it. And I'll just say, you like, you don't have to roll. You eventually unlock it. You're like, we don't have to roll for this. I'll only ask them to roll when the result is unknown, when it, it can go one way or the other. And I'm not particularly sure myself which way it would go. As mm. long as char characters are acting within the appropriate confines of their players' characters' power and their abilities, they don't really have to roll dice most of the time. And then the few times that you do end up rolling, since you have now limited the amount of dice rolls you have to make, rolling in secret isn't as much of a problem. But geez, I can right. see if you're at a player with people who are very roll happy, having to do that behind the screen every time would get very frustrating. Sure. I think there's value in knowing you didn't do good because that happens in real life. If you're like me, it happens too much. <laughs> when you know you probably didn't do too good or you had a feeling, ever had a feeling a certain interaction didn't go too well. So in game terms, say a, a PC tried to appraise something and the player rolled a four. He could role play as not being sure of his appraisal. What's so wrong with that? 
if a player knows their result, it may be easier to roleplay how confident they are of the information they're giving or getting. The GM can just tell them, you know, you're confident and you're not sure, but you think he's telling the truth. I think that's a really healthy example of metagaming. I think the key word is probably roleplaying, right? To where... If you are more of a dice focused type of a player, then right, that that might be something that is not as enjoyable. But I agree with you from a role playing perspective. You know, I think part of the fun of discovering a character is you have put, you know, you have breathed life into this character that you have created. But I I personally love to let the game continue to shape that creator or that character as well. So, right, that's a perfect example where, you know, I've had games where characters have just failed an awful lot and I was supposed to be this badass magic user and I'm just, but I was an old woman. So I just kind of played up to like, a, I'm just not the, you know, the wizard that I used to be, the sorceress I used to be. It's just, I, I, mm-hmm. I really like, I like giving that back to the players in that way because I think it enhances that aspect of of tabletop role playing. Yeah. And if I can disagree with you slightly, I think even with the roll happy person, that is a good result. They still get to roll and then the role playing guy also gets to act. It's like good for both worlds. I mean, I'm not a roll happy person. I hate rolling. It's like, I mean, I love rolling, <laughs> but rolling hates me. So, you know, uh, generally I just, uh, if I could role play my way out of anything, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> Please DM. I'm I'm playing this so well. Don't make me roll the dice. Don't make <laughs> me do it. <laughs> Just give me an advantage. I role played the hell out of that. Yeah. <laughs> we actually have a special dice for you. Where 19 of the sides are a 20, and there is one side that gets a one. <laughs> Skill bonuses are like one of those kind of static things where metagame knowledge is shaping the world that our characters act in so if you have a character that has a plus 10 to acrobatics that means they're good at acrobatics uh we as the players know how good at acrobatics that means that if i take a 10 i can jump 20 feet the player character doesn't know any of these numbers or what that means they just know that they're good at acrobatics and that's going to infer your role playing of that character which seems something minor but it is effectively in in a sense i guess metagaming you are playing the character and their abilities in accordance with stats that they don't know exist in a sense all reflection of your character based on its character sheet is metagaming and that's super healthy because that's literally playing the game (laughs) so the sorcerer isn't going to walk up and try to pick the lock on the door because they know they don't have good well you haven't played with my players (laughs) 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 well let's talk about metagaming combat In my opinion, there's a lot of instances of metagaming during combat that is really healthy. If there was a piece of information that my player knew that his PC didn't act on that led to his death, I would feel awful about that. I would feel really, really bad about that. I want when I see players that like I'm gonna play a really dumb character. I'm like, <gasps> how do you how do you do this? This is <gasps> he died because he he ran at the acid monster. <laughs> what, what have you done? <laughs> but during combat, I let my players meta game when they coordinate with each other and they plan with each other. You know where they're gonna move, who they're gonna focus on, whether or not they need healing. I'm gonna buff you next round. This sort of thing. I think this strategizing is part of the game and should be encouraged. I don't need them to act out all those things. They can just say, oh, you move here and I move here. And they've had a conversation that lasted longer than the six seconds in game. Please do. That's that's part of the game is strategizing. The people that really love combat love that trying to overcome an encounter with strategic teamwork. 
angry side note, if your players are role-playing in combat for longer than six seconds and you stop them, what is wrong with you? You have a blessing right there. <laughs> They're role-playing. Don't stop them. Amen. I I agree with everything that was just said there. It, it's kind of like a keystone of what is really enjoyable for me in these, these types of games. Uh, I couldn't imagine being under a time limit like that. And, you know, it's like, well, let's throw it back to a flashback then. You know, do that too. Uh, but, um, I love, right. I, I think that has to be a part of the game that we do still have this omniscient presence when it comes to how we are looking at things. And there's probably a limit to that, but I agree, especially when players are really working together in unique ways too, because gosh, that's a half of the fun of playing is when you get two, three, four minds together, and then they're coming up with stuff that you as a, as a DM or a GM could never ever have predicted would ever happen. Now you get to act actually play the game right so it's so important to me that this is something that i think is you know that that i i wish that people would really not only recognize but help represent properly now marcus you have a wider breadth of experience in different systems than i do is that a part of most systems you've played where the combat sort of tactical and it's designed for the the actual players to work together i mean well, Shadowrun is a hundred percent, right? Like you have to be prepared for just about anything because you can beat that final boss at the end. And then suddenly it's actually up to your decker to go through and complete the mission properly. So, um, I think definitely from Shadowrun, yes. But when I look at sort of a lot of the systems that I'm playing today, which do tend to have narrative and action focus, I would say that it just seems natural, right? Where I think you have more fun storytelling or I can role play my character better when we think about it that way, right? I'm currently playing this sort of, uh, this synthetic who is supposed to be a incredibly well combat trained individual. And the group is kind of looking to her to be a leader. And so kind of like metagaming in the combat allows me to flex a muscle that I don't normally do, which is like strategic combat planning with mm. the group so it's but it's fun to be like Yasna hesitates but then she points everyone in a different direction you know giving these weird signals that people only half understand what they are and kind of have fun with it so I would say that yes because of Shadowrun it was kind of built into me like you have to take everything for strategic or else you're just gonna die and then that kind of turned into like well I like to be strategic because it really plays to the narrative of the story. And again, like that's what I think what's super interesting to me and in, in sort of this era of tabletop gaming is like being together with people and just creating a cool narrative uh, with everyone's, you know, with like five brains kind of independently functioning. I mean, some of what role-playing games are built off of are the games that are entirely tactical combat, like Warhammer 40K, where the entire right. game is just talking outside of metagaming. You're not role-playing. Some people do. It's kind of fun. But you're generally, the whole game is tactically figuring out how to overcome the situation. That's the fun of it. Yep. I think good GMs will make encounters that require players to think tactically together. If you allow your players to metagame for combat strategy, that allows you to make more nuanced encounters. You're only hampering yourself by not allowing that. 
Now, there are, of course, exceptions, and there's actually some pretty cool exceptions. If there's some reason they can't talk, say they got silenced, or there's so much noise, communication is impossible. If I want to instill panic, I'll give each player a set amount of time to take their turn. I recently did that. There was bombs set around this building that they were trying to defuse, and I said, all right, you can only say one sentence when you take your move action coordinate who's going to get what bombs that way because otherwise they could just stand around and, and all it would have deflated the whole encounter the whole like oh we only have 30 seconds if they got to spend you know 40 minutes talking about how are they going to tackle this making them do that on their turn one sentence uh sort of put that rush in them and made that encounter feel as fast paced as i wanted to that's an exception obviously you want to follow the rule most of the time but in my opinion, this case is sort of like letting your players act on the information their characters have. It's the antonym to metagaming, and I think it's it's wonderful, it's beautiful, as Marcus was saying. Yeah, I very much agree with that. If you design and play through encounters, assuming that all the PCs are acting only in perfect accordance with what they know and understand, the game would be very boring. It would take out a lot of the enjoyment of the game for me, because I think combat is where a lot of people come alive and there's high stakes and then emotions are going to come out and you want people they're going to overstep their bounds with the role playing sometimes they're going to overstep what their characters know and i think that's perfectly fine yeah because if they overstep that i could say oh you wouldn't know that as a fellow <laughs> player i don't think your character would do that christian <laughs> i and you're highlighting the unhealthy aspect of this that i wanted to bring up so we're talking about tactically planning out combat. And suppose you're in a combat scenario and one of the players uh, is a wizard sorcerer, something weak. And they're like, I want to save my spells. I'm going to try and stab this thing with my dagger. Then one of the other players is like, no, you're bad at that. You only have a plus two attack bonus. Don't do that. Cash your spell instead. <laughs> it, it has a weak will save. You Use your dazzle instead. As his character said, don't do that. I, as a person, will say to that person, please don't do that. <laughs> Agreed. And this is kind of going, I guess, off topic, because I think that is the correct reaction, but I'm sure maybe you guys haven't. I've had players before that would intentionally, like, do really bad things, like, consistently. Like, they would play their character very, very inoptimally at the expense of other players. It's like, no, like, you have level four spells. Please don't, don't pass your turn. Please don't do that. We're going to die. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a hard scenario to parse through. Definitely. Mm. I think, and, and like you're saying, we're parsing through this. I'm not sure how much I've implemented this, but thinking about it, I think there's sort of two options that come to mind. And the healthier one to me is, okay, first we, we have a conversation to understand each other. I want to understand where you are and so you can understand where I am. Hey, I'm trying to design an encounter that'll be difficult and that will require you all to work together and to use all your individual best skills because I've sort of designed this encounter where you guys can excel because, hey, you have sneak attack? Well, I happen to put in a monster that can be sneak attacked. Look at that. And, and you always choosing to stab instead of cast your spells is actually going to cause your players to take a lot of damage, maybe even die, because the encounter was balanced around you all sort of doing your best. He understands that, and then I understand from him, well, I was having a lot of fun sort of role-playing, making these dumb decisions, or being somebody who was very impulsive and, and ran, or whatever his reasons are. You, you can There is a way to meet in the middle. Okay, well, now I know in the future, when I design my encounters, I don't make them that deadly, and I can kind of plan, okay, well, he might run at them with a knife instead of casting a spell, and that way I'm no longer, he's no longer in endangering their characters, but he can also still enjoy doing what he's doing. I think you could even say that the the player that is acting inoptimally at the expense of the rest of the party is actually bad at metagaming, bad at the good part of metagaming. <laughs> sure. 
And I think it needs to be a little give and take from both. I don't think it's just like, you're wrong. Stop it. Always cast a spell. Let him, you know, Maybe he does it a little less often than he would before, but still let him do the thing he's enjoying to do. I always right. want to give people opportunities if they thought that's what would be fun to do, to let him do that. But then they obviously have to understand as well. Make sure what you what you're having fun with doesn't take away the fun from everyone else. I think there must be definitely like both sides of this scenario, like with an extreme, because I can't say that I've ever played with anyone who has kind of intentionally endangered other players. But I have played with individuals who have done that as it relates very specifically to kind of their own character. And I I guess what I mean by that is there's a, a good friend of mine played a character who was just kind of like always the, I want to use that sword. I want to use that knife. I want to kill all of these people. And he played the character so, so very well. And he got into a fight that he knew he likely couldn't win unless it was just amazing roles. And honestly, it wasn't at the expense of my characters or any of the other crew members characters, but actually at the expense of our emotions, because we are like, we are screwed if we lose this, this character, <laughs> you know? And so it was, it made it such an epic spoiler alert. He wins this amazing battle. It was like one of the most incredible things I've personally ever seen in a role playing game. But you know, to that point, it was like, that probably can't happen every session. It probably shouldn't <laughs> happen. Right. And so uh, that's the two sides of the extreme. Someone who's just kind of doing it out of the, you know, I don't I don't know I don't know what the motivations are for someone to do that or someone who does it at just the perfect time and maybe pulls a miracle out of their hat maybe they don't but I feel like if it's relevant to the story you know there can be times where that might be acceptable well don't worry guys I don't mind losing my character we do we mind if you lose your character (laughs) I think some of the coolest moments, like you said, you said that was one of the coolest moments, if not the coolest moment of your role-playing career. That's everyone has that story. Those are the coolest moments that I'm in, I'm down, I did the dumb thing, or we're in a very poor situation and we pull it out. We somehow achieve victory. You need to give uh, opportunities for those things to happen. And you can't have those moments. Those moments can never happen if you always play it safe. You sometimes have to go against the odds like that. Even with the knowledge, the meta knowledge that you likely aren't going to make it out of this, it's when you enter that scenario and come out on top that really makes it special. Yeah. Well, during combat, we struggle to talk about mechanics, such as DR and resistances. We try to use language that communicates the mechanic in fiction. I find a lot of uh, young GMs, including myself, do this and have done this. You say things like, it looks like your attacks aren't doing as much damage as you would normally expect. Well, translation, the enemy has DR. Or that fireball really seems to have damaged him more than normal. Okay, he is vulnerable to fire. Like, is it really worth it to have to say those weird contrived sentences? Can't we just say it has DR? It is resistant to fire. When our players figure that out, let them roleplay it if they choose. If he wants to say, guys, it seems to be weak to the silver in my sword. Great. Let them fuel that for them. But don't make them do that, I don't think. Another side note. Do we really have to have our players roleplay sharing information during battle? Do my players really have to shout out every piece of information they learn? Or can everyone else just no info when one of the players learns it and let them focus on trying to win the encounter? Is it that much fun? 
<laughs> it kills I me. Think, I think we all run to the scenario where someone makes a knowledge check and you say, you know this about the Church of Desna. And then they turn to the rest of the party and they say, I know this about the Church of Desna. <laughs> right, yeah. That is a completely right. meaningless. You didn't need to say right. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can, can, can we just assume I shared this with my players? Yes. Okay. Great, because I didn't want to have to repeat that. Something that actually worked out well and sort of a kind of odd thing I did, and I've looked back to it fondly ever since, is I told my players each thing as they learned it. So like after they hit it with acid, I said, now you know it has acid resistance 15. Usually they wouldn't know the exact number. Or after they successfully hit it with an attack, it'd say, now you know it's AC is 20. That actually had really, really positive results. That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I think to what you're saying, it comes down to the information, right? I think, yes, generally there's a, a whole subset of information that, you know, after you have role played that or or attempted to kind of narrate that over 50 plus sessions, it's kind of like, OK, can right, we we know. Right. <laughs> so um, I it, it also but if it's like. Oh, you know, so and so is my sister, and it, what? Wait, what? It's, I it, right? It just it totally depends on the the information that I think is is kind of being presented. I really like your idea about. I mean, I like to nerd out on rules and uh, you know different systems. So having something like that accompany that, I think, is perfectly fine. There there is a fourth wall in tabletop RPG, right? Like it's okay for us to sure. to be behind it every once in a while. Mm-hmm. You experimented with this in Trailblazer Season 2, Caleb, and I actually really liked it as a player. Uh, I had never had a DM t- before say to me, make a DC 15 reflex save. They would just say, make a reflex save, tell me whether I you know, passed or failed. And I really like that openness of information. I think it streamlined combat a ton, and I don't think it at all negatively affected the game. I think it only had positive effects. Combat is known to take forever. Like, everyone knows the, the adage of D&D, you know, walking a day takes five minutes, five minutes of combat takes a day. <laughs> and anything that we could do to streamline that is typically a positive thing. Yeah, I, I personally think it's really important to still make that attempt to describe it in universe and using the actual flavor of that, whatever they're engaging with. But then afterwards, tell them what that means. That's typically how I go for right. it. I'll do the little blurb of, you know, your sword bounces off the hide. It's got sure. DR slashing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Also, because sometimes you, I've made the mistake of I wasn't clear enough with my in-game fiction. Like it bounces off the high. They go, oh, I must have DR bludgeoning. No, no. I meant, oh oh boy. Oh boy. (laughs) But one time I gave those details out as they found them. Actually, if you don't want to do it all the time, and I understand if you don't, if you do it for a boss encounter, it can make a boss encounter pretty cool where this is something now it's new. It's different. makes it special where we hit it. Now we know it's stat and and this thing was a, a mythic creature so it had a ton of stats so every little bit of information they learned there was a lot of information to learn they kept adding it so every time they attacked or did something to it or it attacked they learned more information about it and that made the encounter a little more dynamic yeah. and it made the, the the boss encounter a little more thrilling and similar to how the skill bonuses shape our understanding of what our characters are capable of if you do something like tell your players what the attack bonus of the enemy is when you say like yeah he rolls at you with a plus 20 like that's going to instill fear in your players most likely they're gonna be like wow this guy's gonna kick my butt i have to take this really seriously (laughs) 
<laughs> I agree with that so hard. I have been shaking in my boots before under the games of Adam Coble, who has, you know, he will give you that information because he also knows, you know, just like we all do, right? When you DM to different players, you really get to understand what those players fear and what they're not fearful mm-hmm. of. And he knows exactly what buttons to press in that regard. And so <laughs> it does. And it may, uh, maybe I'm going to play a little bit safe, but also it, just like you said, it will make it more dynamic because it'll open up, okay, what are some of the other possibilities or what are some of the other ways that we could approach this? Or do we need to run the hell away? I don't know. The best use of metagaming, knowing what buttons to push with your players. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Speaking off of pressing the buttons of your players, I wanted to ask what you thought about your game masters essentially metagaming against their players. I was actually thinking about one very specific instance that took place in the Swan Song where Adam wanted to put us basically in danger, but did not want us to just be able to shoot our way out of it. And so Hmm. knowing exactly how we would approach this particular like meeting, he made it this like business dinner where you were going to be checked and there was no way. And of course we tried to like, well, can I hide a gun here? And can we do this? We went through all the different ways. Um, But you know, there's been other instances where he knows that one player would use this skill or would use this particular thing. And that would make the encounter easier when we were going into it. And so he would do something in the game to affect that, which, you know, sometimes would be a tip off to the players. But other times it it was, you know, I think to create a a better story and maybe to get the players to be a bit more dynamic. But I was definitely curious if you guys had any thought about that, if that is absolutely a built in job of a DM or if there's some DMs that might take that a little bit too far. Yeah. Isn't the GM's job literally to metagame to make a satisfying encounter when a gm metagames it's not called metagaming it's called being a gm (laughs) there you go (laughs) to give the last caveat which i felt you sort of adding at the end there to certain gms taking it too far that anytime that relationship between the gm and the player becomes adversarial there's obviously the problem if i'm metagaming so that i i can i find joy in making your characters not be effective and watching your face turn sad as you don't actually have fun i mean obviously there's a deeper problem there and that's not a good situation for anybody but when you're gming and you're playing to your players strengths and you know what they do and to throw them situations and throw them off kilter to help them think on their feet if it's all designed to help them have fun that's what GMing's all about. That's not just GMing. That's really good GMing. That's really hard to do and do consistently. You say that, but pretty much over the past week, I've seen about a thousand memes posted to our Discord about GMs and players like, well, I gave my players this and guess what they did? They murdered Hobo like they always do. <laughs> There's certain things players will always do and you can just rely on it. Give them an artifact. They will almost exclusively use it to hide dead bodies. Just what they're going to do. I love your point uh, about making sure that your players are having fun. I also, I subscribe to, you know, I'm okay having, getting to suffer every once in a while. Uh, in that same campaign, Adam one time let us get a grav tank, which was obviously a totally OP vehicle to have. Our, our ship wasn't rated to even carry it and whatever. And in the same session that he awarded it, to us he stripped it away and it was a glorious thing i mean i've never been more sad but it was the right thing to do 
Honestly, we couldn't be trusted with the tank when you think about and it. And the grab tank <laughs> became like an in you know an infinite meme where it just it will never sure. it will it'll never live down the grav tank. Have you ever gotten the grav tank back? No, no. Well, no. Then the, then the game would end. That's the <laughs> that's the end goal. It's in fact, it's like it is cameoed in other games before. It was like you know, and the shuttle's <laughs> going past, and oh, is that a nice, bright, shiny, brand new grav tank over there? Don't do this to us. <laughs> Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for coming on. Boy, it's been it's been a little bit of a dream for me to have you on, and I'm so happy that you uh, came on. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's a pleasure. You know, I really an honor to be on. I love to kind of talk about uh, this particular topic and and uh, any topic as far as uh, tabletop RPGs are concerned. And uh, you know, I just want to encourage. I, I'm pretty sure all you regular listeners are probably regular players, but if not, or you've been thinking about it, or you're listening and you're looking for it like do it it's such a rewarding thing you will make memories that you will remember forever i just hope that i can encourage more people uh whether that's through the role play shows or doing shows like this or on twitter or whatever to play more to get more involved it, you will you will not regret it well thanks again for coming Thank on you. is there anywhere you want to point our listeners to your social media or shows you're yeah, on yeah so i'd love for you to to check out any of the shows that I might be on. Uh, it really the best way to keep track of all the craziness in my life is just via Twitter. Uh, keep people pretty updated when shows are going live, when I'm streaming. Far Verona's it's every Saturday. I'd give you the times, but I'm going to get them wrong with the EST. Uh, and I just <laughs> moved, so I'm in a different time zone as of late. So follow my Twitter, DJ Wheat. Uh, I will always let you know that, hey, we got a show going on. But uh, thank you again, gentlemen. May all your dice rolls be amazing. May you get good shapes and may all of your players be kind to one another class is dismissed trailblazer academy is part of the trailblazer network for other great rpg podcasts visit our website tblazer.net want to get in touch email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com this is Johan Mertens thanks for listening Christian yeah did I ever tell you the story about when I met Marcus? Marcus, I'm sure you don't remember this because you meet a million people at a con, but I was at New York Comic Con one year and there was a StarCraft tournament there. It was the first StarCraft tournament I ever saw live. And I, I sat down and I watched a, a game or two and I saw you. I'm like, DJ Wheat's here. Oh my goodness, this is an opportunity to meet him. Oh, but he probably won't meet people. Well, we'll see what happens. I went back to where the green room is and I asked, hey, uh, there's guards there, of course. Hey, you mind if, uh, do you guys have times where you can meet the, the talent? And he goes, well, not really, but who who you want to meet? Uh, DJ Wheat. Oh, no, this is a StarCraft tournament. There's no music. No, I understand. His, <laughs> no, it's his handle. Uh, I'll go back. I mean, I he'll probably say no, but I'll ask. I'm like, thank you so much. He goes back. He asks, and Marcus, you so generously came out and you spent a few minutes with me when we had a wonderful conversation. I was inside like a little schoolgirl, like just squeeing, but outside I'd be like, yes, it's wonderful to meet you. And I am perfectly calm. And then while we're talking, someone comes up and notices my wife's cosplay and, and, and sort of taps Marcus out of the conversation. Says, hey, can you take a picture of me <laughs> with this girl? I took that picture, though, didn't I? You That's did. Right. You, were, you smiled the whole time. Uh, I always, it, you know what? It's not the last time that that happened. And I will always be I will always be more than happy to take that picture for someone. <laughs>